you're listening to The Enlightened Podcast. I'm Dr. Sarah Jane, and I'm a gentle chiropractor, holistic counsellor, energetic worker, intuitive guide, and yoga and meditation teacher. I'm the host and creator of The Enlightened Podcast, and I'll be bringing you stories of resilience, consciousness, healing, the human experience, and just how trauma, loss, and grief can shape us to be more compassionate and more empathetic human beings than ever before. These stories are for the highly sensitives, the empaths, and those wanting to hear a unique approach to holistic health. Hello everyone and welcome to today's episode. My apologies for the time it has taken to jump on and create another episode for you guys, but a lot has been happening in Melbourne recently and we are finally out of lockdown, which is amazing. And today we have a very, very special guest. So on this episode, we are joined by Cyan Pascal. She is a yoga teacher and also the founder and lead instructor at The Light Collective, which I know so many of you follow on Instagram or have at least heard of before. So everyone, let's welcome Cyan. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> expecting a round of applause. Yay. I will give you the applause. So thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us. And if you could, for those who are listening who maybe have not heard of you or, or the work that you are currently doing, could you just give everyone, uh, I guess, a little snapshot um, about what led you to what you're doing and, and what you are creating? Yeah, I'm happy to give it my best shot. So I am a yoga, breathwork, meditation teacher, and the Light Collective has become this year really an online yoga school and we teach students so we have an online membership that we teach all of these practices through and I am also a teacher of teachers so that's really you know what I love to do so I teach yoga teachers so I teach people to become yoga breathwork and meditation teachers but I also teach teachers how to become better teachers and how to develop their own skills and um, how to go deeper into the practice. And um, hmm, so my story about how, so you're asking how did I get into where I am now? Yes, because I know you've been doing it for quite a while. I know now it's a little bit more, I guess, not mainstream, but people do know a little bit more about breath work and, and yoga these days. But I know that you've been doing it for a while. So I just wanted to hear your story about how you found breath work and, and what made you want to teach it to others as well. Well, really, I kind of, I started in fact with meditation when I was 16 and it came out of really being pretty unwell. So I was getting constant migraines and it meant that I was ending up in hospital and I was having to take a lot of time off school. And I think about it now and I I was doing an exchange in Italy. I was in an Italian hospital. Um, I remember getting a really bad migraine and just having this moment where they were taking me through the hospital and the doctor's smoking. 
<laughs> and in the morning, my teacher came and she gave me like a coffee and a chocolate croissant. And I was like, both of those things are terrible for migraines. But um, <laughs> that was kind of my, that was my existence for a good couple of years. And teachers um, at school were really concerned. And one in particular, said to me why don't you try practicing meditation and she gave me a meditation cassette and I started practicing every day and that was yeah way back in the year 2000 so you can do the maths on that Um, and really it it was the start for me of what is now it's so embedded in my life that I find it difficult to tell the story but there have been some real moments I suppose that have turned me into the teacher I am today and like most people they really do come out of moments of hardship moments of suffering moments of grief or um, illness and even though I started meditating at that young age and my migraines lifted still I went through um, a lot of stress I've had the grief I've had the trauma in my life and the practices what are what have really gotten me through all of those moments and have really propelled me forward. So I was an architecture student in my 20s and I became an architect. And wow. um, that was a really intense period in my life as well for anyone who has known anybody to go through architecture school. It's a lot mm-hmm. like medicine, only there's the pressure to be creative And they really expect a lot from you. And again, I was burning myself out. And that's when I turned to yoga. And it was my mum who, even though she's so funny, I love my mum. She's the best, but she's not really into yoga. And I think people (laughs) people assume I come from a kind of hippie yoga family, but truly I don't. I think mum finds me completely fascinating and doesn't understand why I do yoga all the time. But she was the one that really initially encouraged me. So she would take me to this Ashtanga yoga class every week. And my teacher was a fantastic and also very good looking teacher, uh, which motivated me to keep that helps. Yeah. As a nice, (laughs) as a young 19 year old, highly impressionable woman, I was so (laughs) bored. You know, I really want to say that like there was nothing going on for him. I was in awe of this divine creature and, Yeah, he really inspired me to begin a daily practice. And at that same time, I also began practicing Ayurveda. And so I think that what happened at quite a young age for me, having an intense personality that was very driven, uh, also going through architecture school, having the experience of being pretty unwell at a young age, it really motivated me to change my lifestyle. So yoga was very much on the mat for me. I really loved the physicality of it and it was like that for a long time. Um, But also I understood that if I wanted to make changes in my body, I had to do it in a holistic way. And so yoga is also incorporating Ayurveda, which is the science of living and life and how you eat, how you interact in the world, the kind of work that you do. All of those things I started to change and shift slowly, slowly from a very young age. So it was, it's been a process over a long period of time. And I think that when I, um, I, I moved to India, in my late 20s as an architect and I began to train with 
I call her my guru, but she would kill me if I said that. Whenever I was under her, she would say, I'm not your guru, I'm your soul sister. She's just the most beautiful teacher. And I trained with her uh, for two years and she opened me up to a whole new way of practicing. It was a practice that incorporated kundalini kriya pranayam she didn't do a lot of mantra actually but there was always you know we would do rounds of om or it would be part of kriya um and she would also do quite intense like workouts she did partner practices amazing adjustments she was I mean, in my opinion, she is probably one of the best teachers in all of India, but she's not somebody who is has a really strong presence on social media, so she doesn't get a lot of that attention. But she really changed the way I understood yoga, and I began teaching with her, and that was after 12 years of practice. So I really I knew the postures in my body. I, I really understood uh the physicality of it but she started to open me up in a in a new way that was a little more energetic and then from there I did my yoga teacher training in India and rather than you know with her it was it was more traditional it was two years it was um it was also very relaxed it wasn't structured in any way but then I went and did the structured 200 hour yoga teacher training and I was fortunate enough to be trained by a group of teachers who were all actually tantrics. So the tantric practice, uh, the white tantric practice, is one which works with asana very specifically, so postures and also breath work and specific meditations and energy. And so all of these um, practices, I suppose, were uh, taught to me at the beginning stages of my life as a teacher and I didn't realize that other people didn't have the (laughs) the experiences that I had and the knowledge that I had and I kind of came back to Melbourne and I I couldn't believe that nobody was teaching pranayam, breath work, teaching deep meditations, teaching mantra and I mean also for me I kind of I had been very much a practitioner of yoga in a way that was very physical. Ashtanga is a set sequence. Mm. It's it's very strong. It's very masculine as well. And what that training and that time in India did for me was awaken me to yoga as being such a massive uh, field of study and practice and experience. And I felt almost cheated that those kind of 12 or 13 years before those trainings, nobody in classes had spoken about it. That I can remember. I mean, mm-hmm. nobody had gone into depth with me. And I, I mean, they're magical experiences. The, the breath work can completely change your mood, your state of consciousness, your health. It's, and it can be done so efficiently in five, 10 minutes. And it became really a sort of a calling from somewhere within me that wanted to teach this work to as many people as possible. It's this kind of drive that I have that I can't explain to many people. I have a lot of people who are saying, Sayan, you need to rest. (laughs) Do a little less. Why, Why are you working all the time? And all I can say is that there is some kind of drive in me some calling that I've tapped into, which 
is constantly guiding me not only to continue to train, to practice myself and to experience um, it personally and embody it, but also to gift it and teach it to as many people as possible. So that's students and also teachers. And so I suppose my teaching career was really founded on that premise. And even before the Light Collective, when I was teaching, there weren't a lot of people who were teaching in Melbourne, mantra, for example, um, or doing maybe some of the stronger breathwork practices or incorporating them into yoga classes. And at first it was pretty, you know, unusual, the work that I was doing. And I, and I think that to an extent it still is, but what's been wonderful is that I've been able to train over 200 teachers now. And I know that this kind of work, this type of soulful uh, practice, which is also very feminine in nature, is spreading, especially in the city that I'm in, which is Melbourne. Um, and I really hope that I can continue to do this work, but in a way that um, expands across the world. Because I personally believe that even though we are saturated with kind of yoga and wellness uh, and the industry is this billion-dollar industry, I really believe that a lot of it has been dumbed down for people. Uh, There is an assumption that um, nobody is going to be interested in the spirituality or the depth um, or the, you know, the kind of philosophy behind all of it. And I, I really strongly disagree with that kind of mindset. And so I try not to dumb my teachings down. I try and give as much of the practices as possible. And it's not for everybody. Some people feel uncomfortable with mantra. Some people feel uh, that they just want to do a power class. And that's okay because there are a million <laughs> yoga mm. probably in Australia. There probably is a million just in Melbourne sometimes it feels like. I know, right? So I I feel very confident that it doesn't matter if people aren't into the work that I do because those that get it will really get it and they'll want to go deep and that's what I'm interested in doing. Mm, I really love that bit because I must admit, even as a chiropractor and especially a network spinal chiropractor, which is working with the energetic field as well as the nervous system, Mm. we're kind of taught that people won't want to hear the depth of it and that you need to adapt to where they are at, which is true. Um, But a lot of the time we just keep people at that surface level out of, I guess, not fear necessarily, but maybe a false belief that people Uh, only wanting to scratch the surface and only wanting to be comfortable Um, so that's where you keep them Mm. and I think just like you there's if you're especially owning your own business like myself as well and, and you if you want to attract the people that need what you're offering they're the kind of people that are going to want what you want and that's what I found anyway Mm, yeah and I think that as facilitators, as yoga teachers, as healers like you are, there is a tendency for us to assume what our students or clients are going through, uh, to assume where they're at on the spiritual path, and to also try and control their journey in some way. And I think that what, I mean, my philosophy is teach everything and go deep. And 
the thing is, is that depending on where your client is karmically, they will be able to hear what they need to hear in that moment. So even if you give, let's just talk about it in terms of a kind of a percentage, you give people 100% and they're not ready to receive all of that, it's fine because they just won't hear it. <laughs> they won't listen or it won't be absorbed and that's okay. And maybe they get 20% or maybe they get 40%, but maybe there is somebody in the room or somebody in your space who is ready and open and willing to receive and they get 90% of that and in that moment you've completely shifted or changed something for them. This is my philosophy and this is what I really try and teach teachers as well because it's very easy to assume. You see somebody to like walk into a room, you judge them by their clothing, it's all subconscious, you judge them by the way they wear their hair or perhaps you know a little bit about them or the look on their face. And I've had this where students come in and I think, oh, my God, I've got to change my class. I'm doing all of this mantra. I was going to get really super freaky on everyone and <laughs> all hyper wacky, energetic stuff. And, and I'm like, oh, no, now I can't do it because I've got this funny person in my class and it's always been in my mind don't assume because I have had mm. people who are now working for me and I've assumed that of them and really they were ready they were open but maybe it was just that it was what was going on internally for me and it was my own triggers or it was kind of um, my own personal judgment that was holding them back potentially as a student or as a client. And so I really, I'm, I'm especially for teachers when we, I work with mantra and mantra is the use of sacred sound. And when we work with sacred sound that has been used for thousands of years, not only are we connecting to the lineage of yoga. This is very deep because we're moving into tradition, uh, which is in fact an oral tradition. So we're vibrationally connecting to yogis from many thousands of years ago. It's very powerful. But on top of that, when we work with vibration, as you know, this is the most subtle level of our being. Vibration is us at our kind of most... Uh, infinite in some ways, the most subtle part of us. And when we work with vibration, we can create change on a very, very deep level. But most people in in the yoga world, or many I should say, not most, many teachers feel very self-conscious about working with mantra and assume that students aren't ready for it. And it's interesting because I very often don't give my students the choice. <laughs> I ask. I don't ask. I do apologize later. Do first. Um, and what is what is interesting is that when I introduce mantra to people, I often get students afterwards asking me, "What was that mantra?" There was something in it. It seems to call to people's souls in in a way that is really hard to describe. It's almost like a remembering. Because for me, I know this isn't my first lifetime doing this work and I know for my students it's not either. And when you use uh, practices that are perhaps a little out of your comfort zone or even theirs, you're still giving them that opportunity to expand or grow deeper. And if you don't give them that opportunity, <laughs> then they don't 
they're not able to kind of grow or or even bear witness to an experience that they've never had before, even if it's uncomfortable for them. You're almost doing them a disservice, really, aren't you, based off something that's probably not even true. <laughs> yeah, that's right, 100%. That's really how I feel. You're, I mean, you're having an impact on a person in some way and how do you know what it is going to be? You have no idea what your impact is. Like none of us do. We don't know what our impact is on the people around us and how that impacts exponentially. But all you can do is kind of show up as a clean and clear vessel and be wholly present for whoever you're teaching or facilitating for or healing in your case and uh, allowing them to have their own experience. Mm, I really love that and and not that it's the same thing but I learned a similar lesson when I was working um, in retail in my younger years they always said don't assume that the the person you think is going to spend the money by what they look like for example are the ones who are going to buy things it's usually the person that you never would have expected um, who who purchases the most and so I learned from a very young age that what people um look like or what you think they are and who they are or what their intentions are or what you think they think aren't necessarily true and just constructs of the of the human mind and and like you I I try to teach everything but always explain to people that take what makes sense for you take from it what you know feels right for you and then just leave the rest that doesn't quite currently sit with you or like you said they may not even hear it at all anyway yeah I think it's a that's a really uh a beautiful philosophy to have. And it's the philosophy of the Buddhists as well. They say, listen to the teachings, be open to them, and then try them out. See if they work and take what works for you. And if it doesn't work, (laughs) if this philosophy is wrong, if all these thousands of, well, how many, 1500 years of Buddhism and where it came from, yoga, thousands of years old, doesn't work for you, then don't do it. Try it out see if it works and feel into it. This is really my kind of my calling as a teacher as well to allow people to have the space to feel it. It doesn't have to be a practice of the mind. We're all very much stuck in the intellect a lot of the time. It can be a practice of feeling. Do the pranayam, do the breath work. How do you feel afterwards? If you feel good, keep doing it. If you don't feel good, then forget about it. Go and do a gym workout. Do whatever works for you because, again, karmically we're all born into this lifetime with a predisposition towards a certain practice or a certain lifestyle that will help us to expand. I mean, I firmly believe that the universe desires expansion and growth constantly, not just kind of on the the plane of the cosmos, but also individually for us as humans. There is a desire for us to expand and we're born into this life with a certain comfort zone in terms of what works for us. So for you, I mean, I'm not sure, Sarah Jane, maybe uh, your process is more energetic if you're an energetic healer. Whereas for me, I've always had this calling towards working with embodiment practices, but I'm sure you do as well. I mean, working with the body, working with breath and using that, the body temple as a vehicle towards perhaps transcendent states or uh, 
experiences of great expansion. And for some people, they're going to have no desire or no interest to take the route that I'm on or the route that you're on, and they'll find another method or another way of doing things, one that is maybe more cerebral or one that is not even seemingly spiritual, but it might still take them to where they need to go. And I think um, what is nice about that is that, again, it's this, it's not needing to market yourself in a way where you have to be available to everybody because you don't. Um, you will be the perfect teacher and facilitator for a specific group of people who match you in some way karmically. And what you can do as the teacher or healer is to really embody the work that you do and continue to drop into deeper and deeper states so that you can entrain the people who work with you to go to that same level. Because unless you're working deeply personally, they won't go there either. Mm, that's so true because, I, you know, in my practice specifically, um, I can always see reflections of what's going on within my own life, within my client's life. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so if I haven't been doing my meditation or yoga, other people won't be doing it. Yeah. And, you know, it's so funny because it's just a complete mirror sometimes. That's so, that's so great that it's such a mirror and it, really keeps you accountable as mm-hmm. a healer or a teacher. And um, it's a big thing that I like to work with is really if you're a teacher in this space, have your own practice. I mean, we've created an entire training, this mentorship training, which is around giving teachers support, not only teaching them what they need to know, but turning it into a practice. Do it every day. Don't teach something you don't know in your own body Don't start preaching things that you don't do already. Do it, know it, feel it, and then when you teach it, you're embodying it and you're able to teach it in a way that is really authentic, that comes from your own body and your own inner wisdom and the words that you use are yours. They're not my words. They're not like the light collective scripted words. It's like you've felt it in your body and so you're able to teach it. And I think that the that students can feel into incongruence when it comes to teachers. 100%. They know when a teacher is meditating or walking the walk or not. And if you want to be a teacher that does all of that, it's a commitment. It's a big, it's a lifelong commitment to your own practice um, and to embodying the work that you want to give to others. Mm, I 100% agree and at the moment I'm doing my postgraduate in humanistic Buddhism because yeah it's it's really lovely um, because in my first degree I did world religions and philosophy as my minor and went to India went to Southeast Asia studied yoga meditation similar to yourself in in that regard and um, we're learning about how to, I guess, bring tradition into modern times as well. Is it important for you to keep the traditions of the ancient practices even, you know, in this modern world? For, for me it is. Yes. <laughs> yes, sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I suppose um, they're a tradition or a lineage for a reason uh, because they've been honed over a long period of time. And so you know that they work and that's why um, that's why they're still alive. If yoga, for example, as a tradition wasn't 
working, then it would have died out a long time ago with many, many other practices. And uh, I think it's important, though, to look especially at the practice of yoga and this very varied lineage that has um, kind of streamed off into many paths uh, and to look at it as something which is constantly evolving. And I think that if you have experienced India, then you know that there is a sense that that line of tradition and progress is always walked together. It's There is a way that you can marry the two with eloquence um, and sensitivity, which um, I think is actually just natural for yoga and and that is why yoga is also still relevant today because it's always adapting. It's always being adapted. And there is no kind of head body. There's no kind of pope of the yoga world who's saying to everyone, no, no, <laughs> none of this, none of this hip-hop yoga or, you know, there's nobody sort of setting down some rules and saying like, I don't like what's going on. We've got to do it this way. We've got to do it that way. This is what makes the practice of yoga so incredible because it continues to expand. It, it's kind of, it is, it's a traditional practice, but it morphs and evolves. And the, the difficult thing um, to really quantify is what is a traditional practice? Unless it has um, been written down, it's very difficult uh, to be able to quantify how old something is and the difficulty with that is that because yoga is an oral tradition so the transmission was primarily from teacher to student orally um it's not written down much yeah really written down and so how do we know what is traditional and what is not i mean really we only we've got We've got the Vedic texts from um, it's said to be about 500 years um, before the modern era, so two and a half thousand years ago, uh, but none of those mention any physical practices. But that doesn't mean that there weren't physical practices happening. And then in about the 8th or 9th century, uh, then you start to get the tantric physical practices. But even then, many of those texts don't speak so much about particular postures. We only really start to hear about them in texts around about 500 years ago. And so from us, like from the aspect of being a scholar, they will say that these practices really are only about 500 years old. But I mean, as a practitioner, I believe that they are much older than that and they have morphed and changed over a long period of time. And I suppose as a teacher, I encourage people to do it in their own way, in their own voice, but keep to a specific practice as it's been initiated to you. So, for example, this year I will teach Kundalini Kriya and Kriya is a, is a kind of a practice of repetitive movement and breath and mantra, which gets quite intense. So a lot of people have probably been to a Yogi Bhajan Kundalini kundalini class it's a similar thing that I would teach to that and what I would say to my uh, teachers is stick to the 
technique. And the same goes for pranayama. Don't start making shit up. Like don't kind of go off track and get people to breathe in for longer or, um, you know, change up the mantra in a specific practice. But the way you use the practice, where you bring it into your class or um, how you teach it and the words that you use let that be yours. Let that be authentic to you. So I think in that way, what you can do is look at these traditional, in inverted commas, practices, mm. but frame them in a way that is uh, really modern, that speaks to your students, that um, that allows them to access something that might be very ancient, but in a way that feels very relevant to them now. That's my philosophy with it. No, I love that. I love that. We need to catch up for a coffee or chai. (laughs) (laughs) We can spend all day together. But I've got a personal question now, which I'm kind of struggling a little bit with in my own life. So I thought, why not ask you? Because you do it so well, which is how do you balance, I guess, the idea and notion of social media and having an online presence so well but still, I guess, stay within your spiritual beliefs and and the realm of that as well. I sometimes find like it's almost balancing two worlds and, and you guys do it really beautifully at the Light Collective. So how do you keep that kind of integrity or that authenticity um, but also, I guess, not just promote yourself but share the knowledge with others and use so- social media as a tool but in a way that's reflective of you and your beliefs and your business and staying true to that, but also, I guess, um, reaching more people too? Great question. First things first, I hire somebody to do it for me who's better at Who are they? (laughs) (laughs) Give me their number. Yeah, I mean, I did that from the very beginning, from the very start of creating the Light Collective. I knew I did not need that extra task I am the kind of person I have my own Instagram for example it takes me so long to write a post I know me too I've done a hundred posts in three years oh yeah an hour and a half per post for sure and I knew from the start I don't have a half hour every day minimum half hour every day to be doing this for the light collective and myself So from the very beginning, I decided to um, hire somebody who was better at it than me, who was also a yogi and who understood the work that I did. So I always hire from within my own community and I generally hire people who have done trainings with me as well. And so I'm really lucky at the moment. So Ruby is on the team. She manages uh, socials, creative. She's a teacher. Uh, She does PR as well for us. And I have absolute complicit faith in her and the work that she does. And she knows the work inside out. She's done the 200 hour with me. She's currently doing a women's specific um, tantric training with me. That's an immersion this week. She's in the practice. She's in her body. She's doing the mentorship. Like she's so dedicated and she is so good at socials and she loves it. She's passionate about it. And it's so much better, in my opinion, to have somebody who is able to do that than to have me who's 
struggling and freaking out and getting annoyed. (laughs) And it would be, I'd be like, oh God, I've got to do another post. Like that's how I would feel about it. But for her, this is an incredible creative outlet for her. And she's been doing it for years. Like she's, she does some other incredible brands. I didn't even know any of this. She was recommended to me by another teacher. Um, And Mm. it, 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 allows me some freedom to do I mean I have to do a lot of other things that I would prefer not to it's the nature of a small business as you know too you've got to do your administration I've got to get onto my accounting today which I should have done yesterday (laughs) you know there are a whole heap of things that we don't want to do and ideally I would love the business to get to a point where I could focus primarily on teaching and that being my focus. But um, until then, I just try and uh, align my resources so that I can be freed of the things that I personally struggle with. And I think that because, for example, Ruby, who runs our socials, first of all, she loves what she does and she's really good at it. And second of all, she's trained with me. She's deep in TLC world of feminine, juicy, mm. like vaginas and <laughs> and you know breasts and and postures and breath and all of the things that we love kind of getting into. It's authentic. It's it's everyone's voice and and I think that also from the start when I Natalie and I were coming up with the name for the business. I mean that took weeks the light collective and this is three years ago and we called it that because I didn't want it to be Siam Pascal's style of yoga I didn't want it to be about me I truly wanted it to be a collective of teachers and to have it as a combined energy and so giving up some of the kind of control over certain aspects of the business is actually a really important part of what the I'm a control freak (laughs) okay I people think that I am and I totally am not like I I like I like things to have a certain aesthetic I'm an artist that's what I believe I don't think it's too controlling I just think it needs to all look right and be right and feel right yeah that's about finding the right person too and look I've had amazing people working for me who I've said can please do socials and they're like I'm not very good at socials but I'll give it a shot and they've done a great job but not the same thing yeah it wasn't their thing and so it's never going to work or it's never going to last for a long time and um yeah I suppose it is it is something that we talk about uh how do we make socials work for the industry that we're in and I think that what we always try and do is there is a sense that we avoid we avoid doing things like having perfect postures, for example, or like mm-hmm. like tons of headstands or like handstands or everything doesn't have to look perfect because that's not the way I teach and I know that it's not the way I encourage any of my teachers to teach. Like we're not mm-hmm. for kind of um, fancy, fancy yoga. We're there with like very deep teachings and so we 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 try and do that sort of thing but I don't think we try to do that. It's just that. It is that. It is that because everybody who works in the team embodies that. And so we're more attracted to, say, images that feel that way, um, quotes or um, inspirational kind of um, notes that 
makes sense for us. And also um, we like to have fun. I mean, we're a very silly bunch of women. Like we're <laughs> we spend most of our time cracking up and we're not like we work hard. We work super hard. Like my team works so hard, but at the same time, we're very joyous and fun and silly. And so Ruby's, we're doing a, um, a challenge, which is a challenge, a prana challenge. So it's three weeks starting in December to kind of build up towards the summer solstice and really power up your energy body through a whole lot of practices. So there'll be asana and pranayama and, uh, I don't know what else we'll figure it out, but like all of the good juicy stuff that gets people energized for summer. And Ruby comes to me and she said, okay, so I'm, I'm thinking that we're going to have to use some vintage Jane Fonda picks for this, um, for this product. <laughs> I'm like, great. She is just so on par with me. I'm like, let's do it. Jane Fonda circa like 1979 to 85. I love that. And so I mean, we try and have fun as well because it's the way I teach. I mean, I crack myself up constantly when I'm teaching and students are used to it and I tell dumb jokes or I I speak in a way that feels right for me and having that balance between being very deep and also being lighthearted. I mean, I think that that is what yoga is because we have to laugh at just the gravity of life. I mean, the horror of it all and the, um, <laughs> and the intensity and the drama with which we create in our lives. I mean, oh my you have God. to laugh at yourself. You have to be able to have that kind of perspective to go deep and then to come out and be like, oh, my God, look at me. Look at me taking myself so seriously right now. Like, And all of that, because that's the way, I mean, I was brought up that way by my parents. Yeah, and then it's the way I teach and so it's the way the people in my team work. All of that comes out quite naturally in the work that we do. And it's funny because I've had the question from other teachers who are at earlier stages in their kind of business career and they've said to me, you know, you've got a really strong brand. And I think to myself, do I? Great. And and they'll say, how do I? I need to have like a a thing, a, like a shtick, you know, like you're, you've gone down the goddess path. And I'm like, have I? And they're like, and I and I need to uh, <laughs> I need a thing, you know, and I, or I need to have a colour or a brand. And I just sort of say, and I, I just, there was a stage where I was getting that a lot. And I, and I just it's not the way I've ever worked. I'm afraid there is all I can say is be authentic, just be authentic and do it in your own way. Because anyway, things will change. Like I don't go into, we do photo shoots for content. Um, they're always usually really fun, but sometimes very uncomfortable and cold. Like you're on a beach somewhere doing a headstand and you're like, this is so dumb. What are we doing? <laughs> I've been there before, let me tell you. <laughs> um, but they're usually really quite fun. Um, but when I'm doing it, I'm not thinking to myself, okay, I'm going to have to uh, be a goddess in this because that's our brand. Like that that doesn't even come into it. I have a tantric practice, which I did at the start of this um, interview, and it's called consecration. And this is my like 
this is the secret big fat teaching that I try to get out to every single teacher I can. And in it, when you consecrate and you do this always at the start of any spiritual practice or anything big that you do, there is a sense that you can allow yourself to really sit in a flow state. And when you're able to relax enough and to be authentic in yourself so that you can flow, what comes out doesn't really have much to do with you. So I don't feel as though the Light Collective, (coughs) excuse me, is any kind of brand that I have cultivated. It's kind of grown on its own. And Nat, the Prez, and I, we often laugh about the Light Collective. It's like its own entity. It does its own thing. It's This year it decided it was going online. And I was like, all right, here we go. We're in for the ride. And I do all the back-end work. And it's sort of I allow the business to flow and change and um, and to kind of just be authentic, to not try and control. Um, there's no specific branding that's going on or um, it's real. Well, there is. It's, it's authenticity. Yeah, yeah. I guess you could say that's, yeah, that that's just the way we do do it and things will shift and change again and I guess that is the nature of the divine feminine there is a sense that you have to trust in all of that and I think about myself when I first started teaching I'm a very different teacher and it took me a while to find my voice and all of those things to know what it was I mean I didn't start my yogi path as a teacher when I first left my YTT saying okay I'm going to be a yoga meditation and breathwork teacher I'm going to run an online school we're going to go down this divine feminine path I mean no no I just was like yeah I teach yoga and I just started teaching and it all started to come in time and I think that it's really important especially for new teachers to have a bit of faith in themselves to keep practicing personally to continue to teach and to allow the process to unfold through your own personal authenticity because when that happens I mean I was talking to a teacher just yesterday, who I have done quite a few, te- like I've trained in quite a few of our courses, and she said to me yesterday, Cyan, I have finally got it. I mean, she was a teacher. She had her own studio, and she said, now I know what I'm here to do. And it's it's kind of a very mm. specific niche that's taken her five years, a lot of self-practice, a lot of inquiry, a lot of teaching to get there. And you don't start off on your journey in that way, and I think it's pretty boring to do it that way anyway I mean who wants to be a neat little package that's you know five steps to enlightenment I don't want that like I want it to be full and rich and I want it to continue to grow and expand I don't want it to be the end of the story and so I think that if you can kind of view your social media in a way that is part of um, an expression of who you are and try and be authentic with it then I think people will connect because, I mean, we've never bought followers. We've never really done any paid advertising and we've allowed it to grow in a way where we hope that the people who follow us are interested in what we do and and that's all that we can kind of hope for. Mm, No, I think that's that's definitely the... what I am attempting to do as well in terms of... um, the authenticity of it all which is which is what I have done from 
from the, the start. But I think okay. um, the difference is I'm not um, letting go of, I'm being a business operator still rather than a business owner. I'm still doing everything, like uh, the website I did, yeah. the emails I do, everything. Yeah. So it's about changing that. And I think that um, that that is a process. Look, I still have to do a gazillion things and it also depends on resources as well and Mm. I kind of had to step up in a way when I first hired um, back three years ago my first social media kind of manager or content creator or whatever you want to call it um, I didn't know where I was going to get the money to pay her (laughs) every month yeah because I was super grassroots I'm talking My business came out of me being at a total ground zero, complete ground zero. I had gotten sick in India. I had sold all of my possessions thinking I was going to move there at the end of 2016. Um, I had quit my job. I had left my house. Um, I had had an argument with my mum, so I wasn't really welcome (laughs) back there. Um, I was at this point of absolute nothing I had enough money saved up to get somebody to help me create a website but I didn't know like I didn't actually have any I didn't have a business to put on a website do you know what I mean I started from absolutely nothing and I knew even in those first three months like the business just had to pay for itself and in those first three months when I decided to create an Instagram account and create a social media presence I knew that I couldn't do it myself that I wasn't interested enough to do it and that I would just have to find that money every month I just have to find it somehow and it's almost like you force yourself and you did I did I forced myself to step into it and then again at the start of the year I mean I I ended up hiring Sophie who is now pretty much our CEO she does pretty much everything with <laughs> she's amazing I just feel like this year despite this awful pandemic and this incredibly intense lockdown I feel as though the universe has really supported me and surrounded me with an incredible group of um people and at the start of the year um I hired three people and Again, I was like, I hope that I have the money to pay you all. And I still have that sometimes. I think to myself, I, yeah, I hope that I, I can pay everyone, but it just seems to work out. It's like mm. it, it's almost as though you have to step up into something. And so because you have more space, then you can actually grow or expand in a different way. Um, and you have to do that. You have to keep taking those risks as a business owner otherwise you stay you stay small you really do stay small which is fine if that's what you want to do Sarah Jane I give you complete permission to stay controlling every single aspect of your business if that's what you want to do but if you you don't want to do it then you will have to find a way to step into a space of discomfort where you're not sure and this space of insecurity is is a is really being a yogi because when we're always grasping at what is secure in our lives we're grasping at what is known and basically what is the past so we only know that which we have experienced before and to 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 step into a space of uncertainty and risk is to do a few things one it's to say 
I trust myself enough. I back myself. I'm going to make this work no matter what it means. Okay. So I, I'm going to hire a new social media person. I'm, I'm going to back myself. That might mean I have to take on five new Cairo clients per week or whatever. I don't know. I mean, maybe it's per month. Um, I'm going to do that. I'm going to commit if I have to. I, I back myself. I know myself well enough to be able to do that. The, the other aspect of it is to um, have a sense of faith and sort of say, I know that I'm on the right path. This is the work that I need to be doing. And I know that I will in some way be supported by it. And then also to have a lighthearted attitude about everything. If it doesn't work out, I mean, I hired this guy to help me to to do some promotions for our online membership space. Mm-hmm. It's totally I, I, it, it hasn't worked out. Everything was meant to be finished about two months ago. I still I haven't heard from him in like a good week. I don't know, to be honest, I don't know what's going on. And I said to myself, this is a risk. I'm going to take a risk. There's a certain amount of money that I'm going to put aside for it. It might go really well. It might turn out terribly. In this case, okay, I don't know whether it's going to work out. He could surprise me. It might change. It might shift. I don't know. But if it doesn't work out, it's not the end of the world. Like hire somebody, they don't work out. Or if you realize next month I 100% can't pay them, then you let them know. You set it up, you have contracts, you're a strong woman with your business boss pants on and you've created contracts that are, you know, protecting both of you. And then if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. And you don't have to get so serious about it all, you know. And this is, I mean, this is kind of the, the attitude that I like to have with my business. Of course, if things went terribly wrong, it would it would affect me. But I, I try and think to myself, I kind of mm. faith in myself. If one thing doesn't work out, then another thing will. Another thing will work out. And don't take it all so seriously. But it is important if you want to expand, then you're, learning I suppose is to let go of the reins a bit and also I think it comes down to ego too like Mm -hmm. some things you're going to be best at but there are probably a whole bunch of other things that you're you'll find somebody else who's far I'm good at everything (laughs) no I'm joking that was my ego sorry (laughs) I'm good at everything too (laughs) (laughs) why can't everyone just be good at everything of us out there you just have to hire them find them and hire I'm telling them. you I am actually good at most things I, mean, yeah. I know it sounds egoic but I am yeah and and that can be hard when you are good at most things but um I think that <laughs> there are certain things that you're probably not like there'll be somebody else who'll be a specialist for example I mean it sounds like you're struggling with social media and I think that a yes. lot of people on the spiritual path do and I do as well like I love the idea of it because it could be quite visually creative but the reality is that it's not the same as architecture or painting or ceramics or the kinds of things that I like to do creatively and for somebody else out there like Ruby smashes it she's way better at it than me and it's a really good lesson for high achievers and people who are good at everything to do that to really let go Need to find a ruby. That's the moral of the story. And I apologise to the listeners for taking up about 15 minutes of this podcast. <laughs> I think it's really helpful because a lot of people are 
starting businesses or running their own business and um and it's definitely hard to let go of control and, and it's and you think that it's really easy for everyone else or you think you know maybe they've had financial backing or maybe um they're really good at everything or where do they get all the time to do it and when you start to kind of break down people's business structure in this industry, everybody is doing it differently. And uh, it's really nice to have that insight into other people's businesses. I mean, it's so funny that you say you're good at everything because even in your intro, you're like, I am. A- <laughs> I'm like, holy moly, what things, what else is she? Like, <laughs> it's like so many things that you're trained in. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. It's amazing. It's an amazing thing. It's good. well, I just like to learn. So when I when something inspires me, I want to learn it, yeah. and so I will always be learning. Definitely, yeah, definitely. Never stop. No, I won't. Well, Cyan. Yeah. Thank you for joining me today. You're welcome, Sarah Jane. Thank you for having me. It has been lovely. It has been. I feel very grateful. Great. I, I feel like we had. Um, a bit of everything. There was a bit of a like a coaching session on social media. <laughs> we got into we got into practice and lineage, and yeah, I think that I think we covered some good ground. I think we did too. How can people find you if they want to get in touch with you, or if they're interested in doing maybe this mentorship you're speaking about, mm-hmm. or what can they do? Yeah, so we've got um, we've got trainings that are coming up in 2021. And uh, we're kind of finalizing them, but you can see the basic outline of everything on the website, which is the lightcollective.yoga. And um, you can also connect with us on Instagram, which is underscore the light collective underscore. And we're on Facebook underneath the light collective, but I'm not very good at keeping up with Facebook, but you know, <laughs> give it a round <laughs> try. Um, <laughs> you never know, somebody might get back to you, but definitely Instagram, um, Instagram and the website, we've got a lot going on. And you know, the thing is, is even if you're not ready to do um, a paid practice or you don't want to join the membership just yet we have so many free practices on our website there is a whole section dedicated to free resources there's pranayama tutorials there's mini practices there's mantras that you can listen to and I sometimes have students um, send me an email and they'll say oh you know I've been listening to your mantras every day for the last three months and these are students that I haven't seen for a good couple of years so it's wow really that they're being utilized in that way and it for me yes of course I need to have a paid aspect to to the business in order to pay for lots of things that make businesses run but also for me it's really important as a teacher to just get as much of the work out there as possible so you know we don't mind whether you pay whether you do it for free but um there is so there are so many ways to connect we also do loads of free Instagram events as well like I for three months over COVID every day and same with the team we were doing so I did one you did it you did one yes oh Ruby I think hosted it I did one oh that's so nice and they're all on IGTV and um I mean there's just we give away so much stuff like really because hey that's saver that's community that's the work that's what it's all about so um yeah definitely head to the website or head to instagram they're the two best places to connect with our incredible community they're the best well i love it and i hope everyone does and yeah i will hopefully see you in real life one day soon and 
I look forward to chatting to you hopefully off air as well and hopefully a new episode will be out soon everyone so thank you Cyan again and we'll be hopefully in touch soon off the podcast great thanks Sarah I look forward to it <laughs> bye, bye.